Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by James Dennis, the co-founder of the Oka, I hope I pronounced that right, but a little bit of background on James before I introduce him is, this is one of the many testimonials featured on James' LinkedIn account. James was a key contributor to the project that launched Tesco Mobile Ireland. He supplied expert telecoms, core networks, and charging systems knowledge, along with hands-on experience to the project. He has hardworking, creative, reliable. He was hardworking, creative, and reliable. He worked very well with the project team, customers, suppliers, and telecoms industry stakeholders. He often played a key coordinating role within the team. I have no hesitation in endorsing James's work. James, Dennis, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Delighted to have you No, no, no worries. I hope I pronounced that right. Is it Dioka or you can correct me? Yeah, yeah, no, it's right. It's not a name I chose. Uh, two of the other co-founders were Limerick-based at the time, and it's the name I'm told. I could be wrong. So if they just spun me a line, then uh, it's continued. It's had its own life. It's the name of the deer symbol on the Munster rugby shirt. That's what I'm told. Okay. Are you a Munster fan yourself or, or a Leinster fan? Or are you into sports? I watch, but the, the only sports I'm really into is swimming. That's my thing. And, okay. Uh, so I swim in, I normally swim in the sea daily. And I do somewhere between, I'm just going to sound a bit close, so somewhere between a kilometre and two kilometres wow. a day. Wow, that's impressive. And I swam in school, so it's... Uh, okay. And a lot of the problems I'm work, uh, yeah, a lot of the issues that I've come across and worked, I've solved by swimming, because it, it's a space where you can't, there's no one going to interrupt you. You can, uh, you can see the light and the horizon when you're there, so it clears your head. And theoretically, you should be just thinking about breathing and relaxing. But if you've got some issue you need to work out, it actually, it's a fantastic space just where you can mull something over in your mind and come out with a eureka moment. So there you go. Yeah, I, I know you mentioned in the other the other week in an email that you were out swimming at Black Rock. And uh, I've swam a couple of times myself out there and I really like it. I've never been to a proper, well, I have kind of a swimming event. My, one of my good friends, I'm from in Rototan County Meath and a friend that I went to school with for over two decades, his name is James Scully. He was a uh, Paralympic swimmer for Ireland got a bronze medal in the, uh, in the worlds in Canada in 2015. And so I've, I've flown over to London for the Paralympics to support him. And uh, I always enjoyed the atmosphere in the stadiums, watching the swimming events. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know a good few swimmers as well. It's uh, I think the only person's, really got very far is well i've met a few channel swimmers and um that's because the open water sea communities includes a lot of people like that and then there's a friend of mine from canada who was on the canadian olympic team who has a house uh, besides um my house in valencia in southwest Kerry, where my dad was from where my grandfather's uh moved okay from, uh, well 
Well, let's yeah. jump into this. You grew up in, I'm assuming Dublin, because I saw that you went to Belvedere College. Um, yeah. Any, any favourite standout memories from growing up in Dublin City? That's a, that's a good question. I think what I was lucky with, I grew up in Sandywind, which is nice, very leafy suburb, and uh, nice being the officer work, but it was a bit different then. There was no gate, no electric gates, people's gates were open, and you could walk it someone's door and they I think it's, it's a little bit different now um, and then I was lucky I went to school in town because basically you moved from there right into the centre of Dublin and it was the middle of the heroin epidemic in Dublin at the time so you got an exposure to um, you got outside of your bubble you moved outside of your bubble and uh, met people that you wouldn't normally have met if you just went to the local and that's uh, also helped, I think, when uh, later on in work life, when I went to some of the more challenging places in the world, that you learned how to talk to people, you learned how to respect people, you learned what people needed. Like, so if you're in a rough area of the world, the local gangster, all he really wants is someone to respect him. So if you uh, show him that, um, fear isn't respect, uh, acknowledgement is respect. Mm. So Nice. Um, yeah, sticking with those early not days. Belvedere is particularly rough, but just uh, basically moving from the suburb and uh, moving into moving into town. Belvedere is well, not a rough school. It's uh, yeah. also a little enclave onto itself as well with fantastic facilities, um, and that's where I took up swimming. It's a it's a it's a well respected school. It is out there. Um, yeah. Who do you think inspired you most while you were growing up in Sandymount? Or you can ask answer it this way. Who do you think had the biggest impact on you while growing up? Uh, I would say it's got to be my parents. Uh, they're both very hardworking. Um, my father had three jobs. We go one at any one time. He worked as a broker in Davies. He taught economics at UCD. And he wrote articles for, uh, for newspapers. So one, one side, and my mother was a doctor, and she practiced at home. And she also, uh, we also, I grew up in a reasonably large family, a family of seven. So she managed the house as well as her practice. So both well, were extremely hardworking. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. That, that's, that's for sure. Uh, you mentioned your dad taught economics at UCD. Did he have any influence yeah. on your decision to study uh, BCom at UCD? Um, slightly. I think the reason I did a BCom was I didn't know what I wanted to do, and it was a very general degree. So to me, it was essentially treading water while I worked out what I wanted to do. Okay. Um, okay. And it seemed like a very general, relatively useful degree. Didn't qualify you for anything, but gave you uh, kind of a toe in the water into a number of different uh, things and gave you a, a confidence in the business world, which might be overconfidence, but basically some degree of confidence. Um, so that's why I did commerce. What after brought... I worked out. Go on. After I worked out what I knew, what I should be doing, but that took a long time. What um, what brought your uh, father up to Dublin? Because you've mentioned that your grandfather was from Kerry, your father was from Kerry, but you grew up oh, in Dublin. My grandfather was, yeah, my grandfather was from Cornwall. 
and he moved to the west coast of Ireland for the fabulous economic opportunity that was open at the time in telecoms, which essentially was the transatlantic cable the landing point was in Valencia. And he worked in the cable station there. So one of my father's aunts lived in uh, Dublin. And my grandmother asked her sister, where should we send Richard to school? Because they wanted to send him to uh, the best school they could think of. And um, her sister recommended Belvedere. So when he was 12, he moved to Dublin and was, went to Belvedere and lived with his aunt. And my grandfather and uh, my grandmother stayed in Valencia until the cable station closed, actually. Uh, they worked there until 1966. Wow. Okay. So I uh, still have the house there. And I spent a couple of the months of the year down there. And I spent from December till uh, March this year down there, which is quite nice. Yeah, beautiful part of the world down there it is. That's, that's, that's what I yeah. question. Um, you've you've worked at companies like Ericsson, Meteor, Digicel. You've been CTO at Cubic Telecom. Um, this is all before you went out by yourself. Any any lessons learned or key takeaways uh, from honing your craft at companies like Ericsson, Meteor, and all the others I mentioned? Well, Ericsson was fantastic in that it's a true multicultural um, uh, company, a massive. Um, basically a massive multinational. Uh, they have offices all over the world. At one time, the, the stat was that 30% uh, of all calls go through some form of Ericsson equipment somewhere in the world. Um, it may have been higher in the past, but it's about 30%. Mm. So a lot of the patents in 4G and 5G. Ericsson holds the majority of patents in 5G. They hold a lot of patents in 4G too. So it's uh, it's an incredible environment to, to learn. There are incredible people. It's uh, provided structure and exposure to technology at the cutting edge and still does. So I, I really enjoyed my time in Ericsson. And there I uh, went in to basically look after an IT system in a an office in Dunleary the IT team. Uh, I was working for a small company in town on Camden Street and they had a support role out there. They went bang while I was out there so I had to go out on my own and um, I then was asked by Ericsson, they said uh, you've been looking after IT systems for about a year now. We're looking for people who can uh, explain technical ideas and are willing to um, explain to others and basically they were looking for technical instructors and to do that you had to basically learn what you were going to teach and then go out around the world and teach it to uh, their design centers and software test teams so i taught in when i left i was sitting in a lift in or standing in a lift in Kuala Lumpur as you are and i counted that i'd been in 28 countries in the previous two years and i just said right uh, i'm going home now and i'm going to take a rest and my idea of arrest was to go to ESAT Digifilm, which was just starting up. The rest the rest idea was uh, no travel. I didn't want to travel anymore. Okay. If you told me I was going to go and teach a course in Vanuatu in the morning, I would have just strangled you. Yeah. So, anyway, that was fantastic. It was a fantastic experience. And um, it was great. When you were young, that level of travel was absolutely brilliant. 
Mm. So focusing on having worked at other companies, is time working for somewhere else, kind of learning your craft while getting paid to learn your craft, something that you'd recommend for future business owners? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you you did ask about other companies. Meteor, I'd say, was the other major influence. I had a fantastic opportunity there because they were still in the middle of the court case. I don't know if most people won't remember, but Meteor had a delayed start because when they won their license, there was a challenge from Orange in the, in the courts here. I think at the time it was the longest court case in terms of days in the Supreme Court in in Ireland. Um, I may have got the court level wrong there, but it was the longest at whatever level of court it was. And essentially, it took, they, they were delayed for two and a half years launching. Whoa. Yeah, it was quite quite tough. What we did then was, uh, and I joined a year and a half before they, before they launched, what we did then was we basically put together a plan, what we do the day that the license was cleared up and updated that plan every week so that when the green light came, we'd be up and running in six months. So it was a fantastic exercise in planning and um, it was there was immense freedom to uh, experiment because we essentially built a network and weren't um, shackled by any live customers to look after. We built an network and then we're able to develop services on top of that uh, way before we actually launched. So that was absolutely brilliant. And the person who really um, promoted that was uh, Pete Quinn, who was uh, one of the Western Wireless team that came over to build uh, Meteor. He was the original CEO. Okay. So now moving forward to your role as co-founder, um, is there a yeah. commonly held belief about your role, co-founder, founder, whatever you want to put in, that you passionately disagree with? Mm, no. Uh, that's fine. That's, that's probably absolutely a short, fine. short answer. <laughs> okay. Um, Do you? Yeah, I think current... it's. Uh, I think that's. I think it's essentially uh, your jack of all trades, the master of none, is essentially co-founder. You have to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that would have been um, part of the case of, in the Meteor case as well. Like I was the first non, uh, uh, yes, one of the first employees there. So basically there was a very small team of people. So you had to do everything until the company grew and then you can hire more people and people become more specialists. And Mm. you mentioned Tesco at the beginning. And Tesco is the same, same thing. Uh, Tesco Mobile was an MVNO in Ireland and I would have been part of the build team and design team of that and again uh, if you're in at the beginning you have to do a little bit of everything you have to know a lot about or a little bit about everything and manage uh, a lot of various uh, areas which then in a larger organisation become our specialisms okay so it gives you a very broad it gives you a great opportunity if you're in startups like that to expose yourself to um, or be exposed to a whole series of different uh, technologies and to learn them, which you're not going to learn if you join a, a mature organization because everything has become quite uh, siloed at that point. Does that make you've, sense? 
yeah, yeah, it does. Um, and you've got a lot of experience. Before we continue with business, I, I, I regret it if I didn't ask, because you said at one point you were in a lift in Kuala Lumpur and you'd been to 28 countries in two years. Not trying to push you to suggest to go travel, but if you could go to any country right now, if all restrictions were lifted, what country would that be? Um, I think... I, how long am I going for? <laughs> a week. Is the question. Oh, when are you going for a week? Okay. Um, yeah, I'd probably just go back to Tokyo. And I'd probably just go straight to Shibuya, Shibuya which is essentially where you have that... Uh, I don't know, it's a famous picture of a crossing's busiest... Oh, yes. Yeah, crossing yeah. in the world. Yeah, so I used to normally, when I lived in Tokyo, I used to go down to Shibuya on Sunday afternoon and just hang out and watch people. That's, it's, um, it's basically, it. it gives you a glimpse into the future of what's going to happen in the rest of the world. You see about two or 300 things while you're there, when only two or three of them are actually going to make it out of the, out of, uh, out of Japan. Because what do you mean by that? Quite a it gives you a glimpse into the future of the world. Well, you get to see what technology is going to happen. So the Japanese are very, uh, very much ahead in, ter- in, in the technical space. So 15 years ago, you would have seen RFIDs, essentially the Eddie card, which is basically everybody does tap pay here now. That's normal. But, and paying with your phone using tap is, has become normalized in the last, um, since the lockdown, it's become very normal because no one wants to touch anything. But you had Felicia was a, a, um, a payment mechanism on Sony Ericsson phones uh, 14, 15 years ago. That was there in Japan. TapPay was there in Japan. QR codes were, were there and were normal in Japan. So all those things were there uh, 15, maybe even longer now. It could even be 20 years ago. But, and you, but you'd see them and you'd see other things as well. And you'd see so many different ways of interacting. But it'd be hard to tell how you filter these and work out which one is going to transport and make its way to the rest of the world. And that's yeah. what that's what you get to see in, in the uh, what um, the mega cities of Southeast Asia, Seoul, uh, Tokyo. You know these massive cities where there's lots of people. Uh, there's space for various types of uh, ecosystems and technologies that can survive and thrive there alone maybe just live there alone but never make make it outside and other ones that uh, are so useful that they'll make their way to the rest of the world so you want to see the future you go there but it's hard to work out which future you have to see you have to filter it mm. wow fantastic you've got me wanting to change my answer on where i travel to if i could go anywhere um <laughs> is there uh, how do i ask this let's ask it this way if Secondary schools or primary schools could add one mandatory subject. Actually, secondary schools could add one mandatory subject to the leaving cert, and you were the decision maker on what that subject was. What would it be? Art. Okay. It'd be drawing. It would basically be. It's you go to so many meetings and see people trying to draw, and they can't. Um, everybody should be able to draw. You don't have to be. Uh, a master craftsman, you don't have to be an artist, but you should be able to basically uh, uh, take your idea and explain it as a, as a picture. And the, 
that that's basically that's essentially it. So there should be some level of art um, available to everybody. That's uh, that would be my first answer. If the second one, if I got a second subject, I'd say music, because it changes the way your brain thinks. It quietens the mind. It gives you a focus. Uh, I'd say uh, that should be something also that should be part of uh, the curriculum. They're, both of them are seen as risky subjects by parents because you might, uh, art in particular, if it's too much scope, the, the guarantee of getting an A is, is low in art, whereas much higher in some more predictable subject. Mm. But that, that's it. I think uh, those are things that should be there. I think it'll, it would um, essentially broaden people's education and make them better communicators. Have you deeper thinkers? Do you play an instrument? And if not, do you have a favorite band or artist? I don't play an instrument, um, unfortunately. Um, my kids do. Um, I have a very broad taste in music. So at the moment, I would share it with my, uh, my eight year old's favorite song. And the one he's always asking for is. Uh, um, Van Morrison, so um, okay, Astro good Week, choice. That album, yeah. So I anyway, I, I enjoy that too. Nice. If who do you look to for mentorship or advice, or are there any books you read or podcasts you listen to? Um, I have been dipping into Harvard Business Review and uh, looking at some of the stuff there, the interesting archives. Mm. Um, in terms I have friends uh, people that I've worked with in the industry that I would talk to if I have an issue that I want to resolve and that is where that's basically my go-to point so there's no one individual but there would be people that I would go and talk to about an issue and they would be part of my network of people that I've worked with over the years that either I've um, worked with directly or have have met in, in industry over the years and I will uh, basically go push an idea by them or propose a problem to them and see if they can help me you've you've That's been I've got, I have big family as well so mm. uh, my sisters and brothers are all um, useful uh, touch points as well if you come from a family of seven there's well it's basically it's effect, effectively multi-generational in terms of the age gap between the eldest and the youngest um, and they all work in different areas so they'd be quite useful too yeah you've a you've there's she's a lot in your career today you know you're part of the early team at both tesco and meteor you spent quite a bit of time at ericsson traveling and you've also been cto at, at, at two other separate companies as well cubic telecom being one of them that people might be familiar with so now being co-founder as well, what continues to drive you? Um, interesting challenges, interesting technical challenges are what I normally thrive in. Something that's new, um, so novelty is also something that uh, attracts me. So a new unsolved problem or something that's perceived as a problem that is too difficult or challenging for someone else to actually go and uh, tackle so i'm working on a startup now 
for the last year since the since April last year uh, in the IoT space, and that's uh, that's essentially my focus at the minute. Okay, uh, two final questions for you. First one is, yep. uh, I don't know who you lived with or live with, but all your loved ones are safe. However, your house is burning down and you can only save one item. What one item would that be? Um, I'd just go and get my uh, prescription goggles. That's a different answer than That's usual. It. Yeah. We, we have yeah, a... I'm just sure it is. Every, you said everybody was safe. That's all I want to get is... Uh... My I like that. So I can go swimming no, later I in like the day. That. The, the best answer I think I've had yet, or the one that had caught me off guard the most was someone said they'd go to the fridge to get food so they weren't hungry while the house was burning down. <laughs> so, oh. final yeah, I, question. I wouldn't worry about the house. Yeah. yeah. F- final question is, uh, I'd like you to imagine it's the end of the decade. So, we're now talking as if it's the year 2030 and you're looking back mm-hmm. on the last nine to ten years you can answer this personally or professionally but what would you like to be looking back on if we're imagining now is the year 2030 i suppose i i I want to do a couple of marathon swims that's what i want to have seen personally and then business wise uh i want my i'd like my startup to be um established and then family wise i'd like my kids and I'd like my kids to be, um, well, they'll be confident and happy as they approach their uh, state exams, whatever they, which they'll be heading into that space at that point. Uh, my eldest son, I want him to be essentially established in his career. So he's uh, he's studying computer science at the moment. He's in third year. Nice. So, there you go. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. James, I've had a, I've had a great uh, pleasure in, in spending the last... 25, 30 minutes, getting to know you a little more. Uh, I'm sure the audience have too. But from me, thank you. And I wish all of those three things that you've labeled do come through. But for spending the time with me today, thank you very much. Great. Thank you. Beautiful morning. Beautiful morning, baby.